Hey, thanks for listening to the Berwyn AG Podcast. This podcast is a ministry of Christian Life Center in Berwyn, Illinois. Our goal is to create a real faith for the real world. We hope this podcast helps you grow closer to the Lord. For more information, you can visit our website, berwynag.org, or you can find us on all social media platforms at Berwyn AG. If you're blessed by what you hear today, be sure to share and subscribe. Thanks, and as always, God bless. your Bible, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 1. Let's see, maybe I can get it up on my uh, telephonio. We're going to start reading in uh, verse 10, this passage of scripture here in verse 10. So, Isaiah 1, you there? No? It's right before Isaiah 2. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 1. Big fat book right in the middle of the Old Testament. Yes. Praise the Lord. Talking today about obedience school. Amen. It's a subliminal message to my wife that I want a little dog. Anyway, just a hint. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom, and listen to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and on the fat that, of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you? This trampling of my courts. Stop, this mean, these, stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. Your new moons, Sabbaths, convocations. I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless and plead. The case of the widow. Let's pray together this morning. Father, in your precious name, we come before you, Lord. We understand, Lord God, that you are a God of mercy, but you are also the God who judges, Lord. So help us to see our lives in the midst of this uh, scenario that we live in every day, Lord God. Help us to see your word coming true, the fruition of your word around us. Help us to know, Lord God, what we should do and where we should go and how we should be, Father God. We pray in Jesus' name, Lord, for your deliverance, for your purpose, for your plan. In Christ's name we pray it. Amen and amen. Well, God is good. God is good. It's hard to see the goodness of God when we look at a verse like this, but it's clear that Israel has pushed God to the limit. 
Some of us think that God doesn't have a limit, but I'm here to tell you this morning, the very bad news is God has a line in the sand. I don't know where it is, but there's a line in the sand. And if you cross the line in the sand, you go from being blessed and favored children into the, into the, the, the area of, of not being uh, uh, God's chosen people any longer. Israel had crossed that line. They were there. They were, they were kind of stuck with a spirit, a religious spirit. When I say a religious spirit, I'm not talking about a demon spirit that, involve, that involves itself in our life. I'm talking about the religious spirit, the spirit that says to us that, that we uh, can still go on, going on, leading people kind of astray and, 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 and putting on our own, even calming our own spiritual nerves by doing the things that God approves of, or at least the things we think that God approves of. Israel had, had been uh, in the, the weeds, had been, had been uh, lost, and had been, had been going through the motions. They had been dealing with so much of, of God's uh, uh, discipline. The Assyrian army had just come through, and they had wiped out. We know from the timing of Isaiah's uh, dates of his, he gives right at the beginning of the first chapter, he gives us the, the dates of his, uh, his ministry. He, is, he pro- prophesies several different kings, the first of which is the ones that came right at the beginning of this, uh, this Assyrian attack. The Assyrians were a ruthless people. The Assyrians were bloodthirsty, ruthless people. They would, they would, uh, they would take a man, uh, two guys would grab a man by his arm and his leg, another guy would grab his arm and another leg, and then they would run him through with a pole and a pike that would stick up so that his head was on that post. That's what they would do that while you were alive, not while you were dead. They would do that while you were alive, and they would leave you on the corner of the street so that people would know that's what happens to somebody who crosses us. They were a vicious people. Most of the people in that day and time were afraid of the Assyrian army. And Israel has gone through this and is, is threatened now by further oppression by the Assyrians, further oppression. And we, of course, we know the history is they will, uh, Judah will once again go through this whole issue with uh, Babylon again in a couple hundred years. And, and it's all because they are going through the motions with this religious spirit. Listen again to what he says here in in the very uh, uh, passage that we read. He says, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom and Sodom. You listen to the law of God, you people of Gomorrah. Now, he's not talking to people who live in Sodom and Gomorrah because Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed in the time of Abraham. What he's saying to them is, you guys are a, sin, a, a, a city so full of sin that you are deserving to be destroyed. So I'm just going to call you Sodom and Gomorrah because you have allowed sin to so impact your city, to so fill your city, and to so uh, oppress and bring down. You know, there's a, there's a culminative loss of, of, of holiness just by living in, a, in, in an area, in a time, in an era rather, when, when there's... Uh, there's a, a, a carnality all around us. The people of God, if we don't hang on to this understanding that God is a holy God, we will slip into becoming more and more like the people of the world. 
How many of you have been around long enough to see that you'd say that's happened already in the church of Jesus Christ here? And yeah, there's several of us who say we see the church moving from where it once was, now it was never perfect, but moving from where it once was, now kind of dumbing down the faith, losing the idea Jesus is more of a, a friend, more of a, 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 a blesser, more of a person who wants to give us good things. And we love that. We love that about Jesus, but we don't like to emphasize the fact that he's coming again, that he's, his recompense is with him, that he will judge the living and the dead someday, that every single person in the, under the sound of my voice this morning is going to stand before Christ and give account for what they did in the body, for every careless word spoken out of your mouth. Come on, somebody. That's a holy God. That's a holy God. And we need to awaken ourselves to the fact, because the world is not going to be talking to you about holiness, because the very holiness by the very nature is other. Holy means other, means something that is unknown to other people around. It would be like if I was tasting a steak and you had never eaten a steak before. To talk, for me to describe to you the wonder of a good ribeye cooked on a 50 degree day on Super Bowl day. A good ribeye, Lord hear our prayer, right, Amen. A good ribeye cooked on your grill in your backyard because you could do that in January this year. Hallelujah. Where's the snow? Hey, where's the ribeye? That's what I want to know. So, you, so if, if you had never tasted the wonder of it, and I tried to describe how it is just the right amount of salt and pepper on it, nothing more than that, just salt and pepper cooked over, charcoal broiled over the flame, flipped at just the right moment, pink in the middle. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Still pink in the middle. And I'm trying to describe to you, when you bite into it, it's a little bit chewy, but it kind of melts also in your mouth. And as you're chewing, it tastes so delectably wonderful. Are you hungry yet? But you still don't know. The only reason you're hungry is because you know what I'm talking about. If you didn't know what I was talking about, if this was a room full of vegetarians, then you wouldn't have any idea what I'm talking to you about. You would, be, you would say, what's he talking about? He's talking about the inside of an animal. So it's hard for us to explain holiness to people. But once you've been in the presence of a holy God, you recognize something is different. And if that holy God was to say to me, you pastor of Gomorrah and Sodom, I would fall crushed and weep. Because God is calling out their sin. He's calling out their sin. That doesn't seem very nice of God to do that, does it? In fact, what's happening is a big court case. Look over in chapter 1, verse 1. God enters the courtroom and he begins to call out the, the witnesses. Verse 2. Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his master. The donkey knows its owner's manger. But Israel does not know my people do not understand. God is calling the witnesses of heaven and earth to testify against Israel. I have raised these children as my own. I have taught them. I have informed them. I have given them all that I can give from me. And yet, he says, they do not understand. It is not for not teaching them. 
It is, it is that they choose not to hear and understand what God is saying to them. I demand a higher standard from you, he says. I demand a, 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 a greater sacrifice. I demand obedience to the things that I've given you. I, I, I demand appreciation and gratitude for all that I've given you. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom, and listen to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings and rams and fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. It was God himself who called to us and said, this is how you are supposed to understand. He did that to show us that it was necessary for us to see what the true penalty for sin is. The penalty for sin is what? Death. And so every year, the, the, the Israelites, the Hebrew people, would have to kill something and lay it on the altar and see the, the fire burn up the body. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and burn up the body and, ha and give us the, 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 the image of this bloodletting. Others have, some have criticized the, the religion of the Jews, saying it is a bloody religion, that it is brutal and bloody. But what he's saying here is that I no longer have any pleasure in these. I called you to, you think you are appeasing me. You weren't ever appeasing me. This blood wasn't covering your sins to make me comfortable with your sin. That's not what the purpose of the blood is. The blood was to show you the cost, the ultimate cost of the sin. Or of course, we on this side of Calvary know the ultimate cost was the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. The perfect, flawless, spotless lamb, Jesus Christ, was nailed to the cross and crucified for us so that we could be whole, so that we could be holy. We understand that. What he's saying there is that there's something powerful in this and yet you have missed the point. My people have no understanding. I've had more than enough. I no longer am pleased by these. Verse 12 says, When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bring, bringing meaningless offerings. Ah, that's it. That's the key. Meaningless offerings. There's something rebellious in every one of us. Something on the inside of us that wants us to go our own way. I looked in the mirror this week. Had a birthday. Was it last week? I think it was. And I looked in the mirror this week and I thought to myself, besides the, you know, the initial impression of, man, you're getting old. I thought to myself of how I still struggle. Wednesday night I mentioned in my message, I think, that, that there are issues, simple issues, that I still wrestle with as a Christian. My flesh always leads me away from God. Is that you too? I can't trust my flesh. I can't trust my own decision making. It always leads me away. Jesus was kind of concerned about this when he looked at his disciples and he said he saw the crowd leaving because Jesus started laying down some heavy stuff on them. We all like the blessings, don't we? Yeah, we do. We like to hear those really blessed 
teachings. You know, there's pastors on TV that would say, I will never preach anything negative. Well, of course they won't. They have to have millions of dollars in order to keep their show on the air. So they don't ever preach anything heavy, anything deep. Deep teaching causes people to turn away. And Jesus said to his disciples, will you too leave me? And Peter speaks up. You know, Peter's always the first one to open his trap, you know. He says, you alone have the words of eternal life. Where else are you going to go? What else are you going to do? See, the Israelites had decided that they were going to miss out on the heart of their faith and just go with the trappings of their faith. They would show up for temple. They would bring a sacrifice. They would give the things that God supposedly wanted, but their hearts were far from God. They had church attendance, but they didn't have an altar experience. That's the bottom line. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You alone have the words of eternal life. Powerful. Paul knew this. Paul recognized that this rebellion factor in us was always pulling us astray. That we always had that streak of rebellion working on the inside of us. He said, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. He tells us that we, the only Christian, the only good Christian, and this is the one part, the one place that I agree with ISIS. Not too many places I agree with ISIS. But the only good Christian is a dead Christian. Dead to themselves. That's what I mean. I don't think that's what they mean. But dead to themselves. We as Christians need to die to our own self. We need to be dead to ourselves. To be dead to myself is to recognize what it looks like when that old zombie Dave starts to rise out of the grave. You ever have zombie you come out of the grave? Starts to rise up, somebody says the wrong thing to you, and all of a sudden you are... This is a full bore commitment to Jesus that we're talking about, the Christian faith. You have to give everything to Christ. John knew it. John knew what it was about. They boiled him in oil. Can you imagine what, I mean, a bad sunburn is rough on me. They boiled him in oil and abandoned him to a little island called Patmos. My wife and I this summer saw the the place from which they sent him to Patmos. It was awe-inspiring. They boiled him in oil, sent him over there, and in that place in that severe pain that he must have been in, God appeared to him. Christ appeared to him and gave him what the book that we call the book of Revelation. It's amazing to me. We have shrunken God's expectations of his, uh, of, uh, of his commitment expectations of us down to a level of comfort. We have tried to domesticate the lion of the tribe of Judah. 
We have brought him into our home and said, go sit over in your cage. We'll call on you when we want you. We want his blessings, but we don't want to be obedient. We are fools. Why should you be beaten any longer? Why do you persist in rebellion, the scripture says? Your whole head is injured. Your whole heart is afflicted. Choosing our own way has never worked out for us. I've never heard a single person say, well, I tried it God's way and my marriage messed up. I tried to raise my kids God's way and they rebelled against me. I tried to, to work as an honest Christian and they all turned against me at work and hated my guts. I know there are people who hate us, and I know there are children who rebel, and I know there are marriages that fail, but I would submit to you it's not because we're doing it God's way. Because somewhere along the way we've missed God. And our love for the world has eclipsed our love for God. It's as if we have two horses running in this race. We lack the discipline that it takes to avoid that which is killing us and injuring us, our addictions our f- to food and drugs and alcohol and entertainment. I look at myself in the mirror and I say, dude, you have been struggling with these same five pounds for years. Some of you are going, ten pounds. I haven't even got to the second five. Some of us are circling Mount Sinai again, coming back and saying, here I am, Lord, still the same old deal. Same, same. Same stuff, different day. I'm wrestling with the same sins, the same issues over and over and over again. God's response to them is amazing. He, he tells them that their prayers make him want to shut his ears. Uh, you know, there's several places in the scripture where it tells you that God doesn't answer your prayers because of this. You know, you have not because you ask not, and you don't get it when you ask with the wrong motivations. You know, you have different, di- different expectations of God. And, 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 and here's one of those places here where the scripture tells us why God doesn't answer our prayers. Verse 13 says, Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, convocations. I cannot bear your evil assemblies, your new moon festivals, your appointed feasts. My soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. All your celebrations, God says, I'm weary of bearing up underneath them because they're so hollow and you are so carnal. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. I will not listen, because your hands are full of blood. It's important to recognize this is what God is teaching his people. What a bummer message, Pastor. It's the first day the sun has shined in 12 days. And you have to be Debbie Downer today. (laughs) 
But you see, we're being arrested by the Word of God. If when you read your devotions, you aren't knocked back in your seat occasionally. If when you read your devotions, you don't have to stop reading and get down on your face and call out to God and say, God, I'm guilty of the same thing. If you don't bring yourself to the place where you are completely broken and crushed in the presence of the Lord, then you're not doing your devotions right. If you're reading a little devotional that says you're okay, throw it away. (laughs) Read the book of Isaiah. You won't get six chapters in before you are on your face crying out to a holy God saying, woe is me, I am undone. We need to bring ourselves to that place. We think in this world, this is for free. We think in this world, when I step off to the side, this is, I don't know what this means. Anyway, we think in this world that people just need to feel better about themselves. God couldn't be more opposed to that. God says, you think too much of yourself already. You think I'm sitting up here waiting for you to bring your offerings in. And then when you bring your offering out, you think I'm going, hey, angels, look, Joey threw $5 into the basket today. Doesn't he love me so much? Did you ever read the book of Job? God is boasting on Job's righteousness. God's excited when we live our life for him. But it has to be through and through, not the outward things. Oh, you came to church. Oh, you raised your hand. You sang out with your voice even though you stink as a singer. Oh, wow. That's what you gave to God today. The basket came around. You tipped God for a good job this week and blessing you. And now you're just excited that God it loves you so much. He just loves me so much. <laughs> And then preacher gets up and he starts to tell us, Isaiah 1. Your sacrifices make me sick. This meaningless drivel that you bring before me, your hearts aren't with me. And you parade in and out of church. You bring your Bible and you show everybody how righteous you are as you come in and out. But you're missing the heart of the gospel. You are far from me, he says. When you pray, I see the blood on your hands. In James, he says, when you pray, I hear the cries of the people who you didn't pay, who you owe money. Wow. Who would have thought Visa and MasterCard have a clearer line to God than I do? God closes his eyes and shuts his ears. Your hands are full of blood. I cannot hear you. You are simply playing church. We all find ourselves guilty of this from time to time, coming in and doing what we should be doing because it's what we should be doing and not having our heart there. And I'm saying in those moments, I recognize we all have those moments, but I'm saying in those moments it's time to hit the skids. And stop and say, what am I doing? Am I playing church? Am I living fully righteous before God? The New Testament tells us that our prayers are ignored by God from time to time because of the way we ask them. But the religious spirit can be exceptionally deceiving. We may believe that we have 
permission from God to abandon fellowship. I've talked to people who say, yeah, but God is directing us to abandon fellowship with the believers. Really? Not my God's not telling you that. My God says, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Uh, You know, we've really been done a disservice by the people who interpreted the Bible into English for us. They put these headlines in there. You know, this is my second sermon in a row where I'm complaining about the headlines that interrupt the flow of the text. Can I just read you that text for a while? Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promised is faithful. It's in Hebrews, uh, late in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promised is faithful. We claim that one. Let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice of sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of the raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Wow! That... Stupid headline there in your Bible broke up that whole thing on judgment away from the avoiding your, your, your assembling of yourselves together in church. Wow, try reading without the headlines. Smoke them if you got them. That's serious business. It's getting real. Let us not, and yet I have people tell, oh yeah, God's given us special dispensation. We're so special. He loves us so much. He wants us to fellowship with no one. And as a pastor, I want to say, listen, anybody who's following their own will so much, I don't want you fellowshipping with any of my people either. As a good shepherd, I can recognize a wolf in sheep's clothing when I see one. I want you away from the pack either. I want you gone. But the reality of it is God has called us to a specific thing. You can't handpick your... This is, not, this is not a smorgasbord that God gives you. God doesn't give you a smorgasbord and say, here, pick the top five things that you're going to want to do for me. That's not what he says. In fact, the, the complaint to the people of Israel, the complaint is that, that they are not doing what he said. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. That's evidently something they weren't doing. They weren't worried about justice for other people. They were only about getting their own. Encourage the oppressed. Oh, pastor, I just want to let you know I have a word for people. You can't give a word to someone if you don't attend church. You're useless for the kingdom of God. What are you going to do? Lay hands on yourself and bless yourself? I have a word. You're okay. Let us stop being fools for Christ. Because what we're living before the world is confusion. When was the last time you confessed your sin to someone? That's what every Christian is supposed to do according to James chapter 5. Confess your sin so that you may be healed. 
When was the last time you called somebody up or said, hey, meet me for a cup of coffee. I got something I need to tell you. And tell them about you. This is what I'm struggling with. My God, please help me. Please help me. This is what I'm... That's genuine Christianity. Instead, we come in with our religious spirit and pretend like we've got it all together. Right? And then other people look and say, well, they've got it all together. This isn't the church for me because I'm a hot mess for Jesus. And they can't come in. You, your very attitude in not confessing your sin to other people is driving others away from Christ. Or turning them into the hypocrite that you are. Because we are making disciples whether we're making disciples or not. The religious spirit likes to hide its rebellion in hunger for religious experiences. We've got this whole, we, we haven't figured out justice and loving mercy and being kind and loving the unlovely. Haven't done any of that stuff. Oh, we like to see miracles. Chicken feather falls out of the ceiling and all of a sudden everybody in the church gets all excited. You think I'm joking? That's the state of the American church right now. We talk about miracles, we talk about revelations. We never get down to releasing the bitterness on the inside or walking in the light of God or living under the authority of another imperfect human being. Oh, living under the authority of another imperfect human being. Do you know how hard it is to say, I submit to that person even though sometimes they're wrong? <laughs> Come on. Right? That is not easy stuff. Especially when we think we're spiritual know-it-alls. Right? Well, in the original Aramaic, <laughs> still means submit. you got to get down, bow down, surrender. Listen, I'm not talking about completely giving up yourself. But when somebody says something to you and gives you directives, you have to say, okay, that person is over me in the Lord. What does that mean that they told me that? Now, you're talking, to, you're talking to somebody right now who has a difficult time with that. I have a hard time when there's somebody tell. I want to rise up. I remember the district superintendent one time. I was, I was so, so broken. We used to have this thing, and I don't know whatever happened to it. We used to have this thing in January called the Midwinter Prayer and Bible Conference. All the pastors would go to some church, some place, and they would, they would go to that midwinter prayer and Bible conference. And really, the, to be honest, I would go because by the time the holidays were done, mid-January, I was so fried and so burnt out from the holidays and all that stuff and all the extra special holiday goopity goop we do around here and all that kind of stuff that when I, that, that I needed a touch from God. And I remember... I was on the presbytery at that time. I remember standing in the midst of this. The worship was playing and the Holy Spirit was starting to move on my heart. And I was just like, thank you, God. I need you so much. I just need to be recharged. How many, how many of you know it takes a while to recharge that spiritual battery? It's not, you don't get flash charged. You, it's, it takes a while. I'm standing in the presence and my superintendent comes up and taps me on the shoulder. And immediately my flesh rose up 
with a kind of a religious spirit, like, who would deign to tap me on my shoulder when I'm talking to the king of the universe? Who? I didn't say that on the outside. I said that on the inside. <laughs> on the inside, I was like, who would dare to interrupt my fellowship with almighty God? And I looked over, and it was my boss. And I was just honest with him. I mean, you can be submissive and yet honest. I said, I said Larry, I just really got to touch God. Well, we got a meeting immediately after this. I got to touch God. I just have to touch God. Why? Well, I just want to let you know we have a meeting right after this. Okay, fine. I mean, he's just doing his job, you know. And I went to the meeting. I was a little crabby. It's hard to be submissive, isn't it? <sighs> Wives know, huh? Come on, somebody. Ladies, if you didn't say amen right there, you missed a great opportunity. Men know too. Because Ephesians 5.21 says we should submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And the way the husband submits to the wife is that he loves her the way Christ loved the church. And there's not a man alive in this place that can love a woman the way Christ loves the church. It's very difficult to submit. I own some land down south and I like to deer hunt and it always rubs me the wrong way that the state of Illinois wants me to spend $15 on a hunting license so I can shoot the meat that runs across my land. That's, that I've been feeding bags of corn all year long. It always rubs me the wrong way. I remember one year I said, I'm not even doing that. And God brought a brother alongside me and said, what do you think the Lord thinks about that? And I confess to you, if I didn't have to stand up here and be God's man for 40 minutes on Sunday morning, I don't even know if I would do it. But God said to me, you're going to stand up and talk about righteousness when you can't even cough up $15? Here it is. Submission doesn't mean I like it. Oh, we can't live a faith like that. It has to be butterflies and rainbows everywhere we go in America. If we're not skipping everywhere we go as believers, when we, we walk by our feelings. I mean, it's so... Well, okay. Calm down, old man. I heard a quote this week. You're going to want to write this one down. It says, When the will of God crosses the will of man, something has to die. Oh, man. When the will of God crosses the will of man, at that point, something has to die. It'll either be 
the vision that God had for your life if you're going to be in rebellion or you. And so often, our prophetic destinies are thrown away. The thing that God has assigned for us is thrown away because we don't want to suffer for Christ's sake. We want to be comfortable believers. So what does God say to a people who are so full of themselves? What does he say to a wayward people who exaggerate their own righteousness and hide their own sins? What does God say to a pompous child who has gone his own way? What does God say to a people who are steeped in rebellion? It's in verse 18. Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best from the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. God's answer to the complaint, God's finishing, closing arguments, if you would, are all we have to do is settle the matter. Let's just settle the matter. Acknowledge before me who you are. This is all legal terminology. Acknowledge before me who you are. Heaven and earth is arguing against us. Let's argue the case and get it done. Your sins are as scarlet. Where do you think he gets that? Your hands are full of blood. Your sins are scarlet. I will make them whiter. God tells us what his will is. God says to his children, I know who you are. I know you are a rebellious lot. I know that you have a willful way. Listen, I want to offer you something. I want to let you know my intent. My intent is to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. To make you whole. To wash you whiter than snow. To make you like wool. Like white wool. I want you to be absolutely pure before me. But the solution is not cheap grace. This is not a simple altar call. Oh, come, raise your hand, fill out a card, bow your knee. That's not what he's saying. We, we break off this quote so often right here. It's irritating. Though your sins are as scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If... You are willing and obedient. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best from the land. That is grace. God is not saying, you're going to have to get there and prove it to me. That's not what he's saying. He's not going to say, I'll judge you. Come back again and judge how you've been these last six months. He's saying, I will make you white as snow. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the fat of the land. All you have to do is just be willing and obedient. The old hymn says, trust and obey, because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. If I'm not trusting and obeying God, if I'm not willfully walking in obedience to God, if I'm not quickly repenting when I slip and I fall, if I'm not asking God to break the stubbornness of my own will when I recognize it for what it is, then I am missing out on what God is giving me. And I will never be happy because I'll be fighting this holy God who loves me so much that he never lets me go. 
When my children were little, I used to explain to them that God put two good handles on either side of their head, their ears. And that we're going walking into this store, or this park, or this place that we're going, and I'll be more than happy to let them run and frolic and have fun, but if they get out of line, I'm going to use the handles that God put on the side of their good head. And if they want to spend the rest of the afternoon walking around, being held by the ear everywhere we go, I am willing to do that as the parent. It's kind of like that what God is saying to us. You can, if you want comfort, don't seek your own way. That just means the Holy Spirit is going to grab you by the ear and start pulling you around places, reminding you of your rebellion. You know, God's busy doing that. You said, I'm going to go on a diet. Remember that? It was four weeks ago. I'm going to go on a diet. I will no longer eat those things. And then, everywhere you looked, they were there. Ho-hos, ding-dongs, wherever there, everywhere you looked, there was little Debbie became your greatest friend. Oh, you were everywhere. You saw them. Why? Because you declared, I will be. You think your de declaration of obedience to God is going to go untested? Oh, that's cute. That's cute that you think that the devil is that naive. As soon as you voice, I will not be shaken, he says, oh, I'm going to shake you. Right? That's the devil I know and hate. We recognize what, and so this is what he, he does. He brings us in this place. God allows us to this place. You will, you will not go unchecked. But the choice is pretty clear. He's offering us this gracious thing. Step out from where you've been, wherever you've been, whatever you've been doing. Whatever has turned the stomach of God or made him hold his nose when you prayed, whatever. You can walk away from that willing and obedient and God says when you do that by the way you'll eat the best of the land the best of the land thanks for listening we hope you were blessed by today's podcast we take pride in creating free content that will hopefully enrich your life and lead you closer to the heart of the father if you're blessed by what you heard today Help us continue to make content just like this by sharing, subscribing, and if you feel led, by contributing financially on our website, berwinag.org. As always, if there's anything that we can do to help you in your walk with the Lord, contact us on our website, berwinag.org, or on social media at berwinag. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.